it is it is a it is the man's day today. We are in the part of Ephesians um, talking about the responsibility of husbands. Ladies, you can kick back, relax, and enjoy it. It should be good for you ultimately, um, fellas. This is it might be a little rough today, but we're going to get through it because you have your mother or your wife beside you to comfort you. Let's. Uh, Let's look at the scripture. We've been exploring Ephesians 5 over the last few weeks. Last week, Dan introduced us to biblical submission. Now, if you remember, we learned the following things about biblical submission. First of all, it is a choice. Okay? You are choosing to submit to one another, either as Christians, um, wives to husbands, husbands to wives. It is a choice. Um, it, so biblical submission does not indicate value or worth. It has more to do with the person submitting than the person that you're submitting to. Using Dan's example from last week, Jesus was washing the feet of his disciples. And it was about him being a servant, not who he was serving. And you remember, one thing that's always interesting about that is one of the set of feet that he was washing that night belonged to Judas Iscariot, the man who was to betray him from that room in a matter of hours. Did Jesus know that? He sure did. Okay? He knew that when he was washing his feet. It doesn't, it's not relative to who he is serving it's him being the servant, who he is submitting to. It also applies to specific relationships. Wives submit to husbands, not all women to all men. Not women to a husband that is not yours. It is wife to husband, specific to relationship. It's children submit to parents, not all children to all adults. Okay? Also, we learn from biblical submission that we are to do so out of reverence for Christ. Ephesians 5.21 says, Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So with this background, we find ourselves in Ephesians 5, 22 and 23. And we need to hit this just a little bit. I and mean, We covered a little bit last week, but we need to hit it some more before we get into the men-specific item. Ephesians 5, 22, 23 says, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. In our culture, there are very few things in Scripture that are more divisive than this. People read this and they say it reeks of inequality. It reeks of chauvinism and closed-mindedness. It's so 1953 or AD 53, if we're going to be specific. Our culture would say that it's sexist. If this is true, we burned all those poor defenseless bras for nothing. Our culture would say that even beyond the sheer discrimination of it all, this doesn't even make sense. Why would you want a man to be head of anything? Check out any of the sitcoms. The modern man is a doofus. He's a fumbling idiot who is bullied by his wife and his kids. He's a meaningless drone at his job. And whose crowning achievement is the seven-year project to add a crevasse in the shape of his bum into the couch. Which he largely succeeds in. Some people who are offended by the scripture take their line of criticism of it in some very destructive directions. And I remind you, these people are people that claim to follow Christ. You see, it will cause some people to abandon Paul, the writer of this portion of Scripture. What does he know? He's not Jesus, after all. Which leads to seeing Scripture as fallible, as if the Holy Spirit can be wrong. And then we find that they start picking and choosing what they believe, which is what started this mess. And they end up with a very interesting dichotomy where they claim to love Christ, but completely ignore the things that he's asked us to do that result in his glory, our protection, and the joy of others. All because we read this and we read it wrong. First, the perspective is wrong. We want to ask, does this line up with what I believe? Does God agree with me? 
Obviously, that's irrelevant. If you and God do not agree, it is not God who has brought you into something contrary to fact. But even beyond seeing it incorrectly, we simply read it incorrectly. The husband is the head, not a head. Okay? We talked about that earlier. Submission is not about someone being better than the other. So what does it mean? Head of what? Well, to get there, we need to relook at marriage. You remember uh, from two weeks ago, when we talked about marriage, it was between one man, one woman, for one lifetime. This is listed by God in Genesis 2, reinforced by Jesus in Matthew, and again by Paul here. Yes, it is a big deal. We find more information within the Bible about marriage in Proverbs 2 and Malachi 2. Malachi 2, 13 and 15, it says, And this second thing you do, uh, the Lord is, is upset with the priests. It says, In the second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning, because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, Why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? Proverbs 2, 16 and 17 says, So you will be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. So marriage is a covenant. God is the initiator of this covenant, and with any covenant, there must be a covenant head who is responsible for ensuring that the covenant is kept. God creates the woman, He creates the marriage, He provides blessings and directives upon it. When the Bible talks about the man being the head of his wife, he is talking about him being the head of the marriage covenant. The husband being the head of his wife is not about authority. It is about responsibility. Fellas, it is not about authority. It is about responsibility. In our modern culture, we are more likely to treat marriage like a contract, not a covenant. Men, your view of marriage must be that of a covenant, not of a contract. Contract is about me negotiating terms that benefit me. It's selfish. Covenant is about me giving myself to you for your benefit. It's servanthood. Covenant is about your benefit. Contract is about my benefit. The problem with the contract is that generally it sets terms for it to be broken. We call that today a prenuptial agreement. We set our marriages up as a contract of happiness. At the point in time in which we are no longer happy, we dissolve the contract. And we feel relief that we set terms ahead of time to abandon it appropriately. But that's contractual thinking. That's not covenantal thinking. You're saying, God wants me to be happy. God wants me to get what I want. God wants me to get what I need. Covenant thinking says, God wants me to become what you need. God wants me to love as you need. God wants me to serve you as you need. Covenant is what's best for you. Contract is about what is best for me. It's the difference between selfishness and servanthood. And remember that the strength of a contract is the piece of paper that it's written on and the integrity of the parties that are involved. That can vary from contract to contract. But the strength of the marriage covenant is the promise of God. Look at Malachi, Malachi 2 again. He says, did he not make them... One, with a portion of the Spirit in their union. That's a capital S Spirit. God has a stake in the game. Look at Matthew 19. What God has brought together, let no man separate. That includes you as the other party to the covenant. Marriage is the covenant. 
Fellas, you are the head, which means you are responsible for the health of your marriage. You are the head. Say it with me, guys. I am the head. Look at you all looking at your wife's next to you like, I don't know if I'm going to say that very loud. Not cool, fellas. You are the head. You do not have the option to not be the head of the covenant. The only question is whether you are doing a good job or not. That's your option. This does not mean that your wife is not responsible to God for her own actions. But it does mean that ultimately God will hold you additionally accountable for your wife, for your marriage. You will give an account of your marriage and your children to God. That is your responsibility. So now that we're clear on what your responsibility is, the question is, is how do you do it? In His providence, God created you. He knew that you would need help in this area. After the section of Ephesians where Paul declares the man the covenant head, he continues to describe what that headship looks like. Ephesians 5.25 said, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That's a tall order. Let's see if we can digest this verse a little bit. Husbands, love your wives as... Stop. First qualification. Paul presupposes that you love your wife. You do not marry someone who you do not love. You don't marry them because enough time has passed. You don't marry them because uh, you want to have sex and keep up some sort of false biblical standard. Loving your wife is not a potential. It's a prerequisite. Yes, your love will grow, mature, and change as you grow together in your marriage. But it's not something you pick up on the back end. There was something very interesting in an article I read recently. It was the top ten reasons to get married. I thought, well, this ought to be good. So let's just take a quick look at what the cultural top ten reasons to get married are. Ready? Here we go. Number ten, marriage makes you live longer. Notice, this didn't presuppose happiness, by the way. So I'm not sure this is always the ideal is extended lifetime if you're not in a happy marriage. Number two, marriage increases your earning power. I don't know who they're talking to. This does not happen to me. (laughs) Marriage gives you a platform to build your bloodline on. Well, that seems to be, you know, very third century Visigoth, build your bloodline. But there you go. I suppose it's a nice platform to build your bloodline on. Seven, marriage prevents you from dying alone. That seems just flat out untrue. Except in some kind of freak accident or murder-suicide, I think you're going to go at different times. And you're still going to be lonely. Six, marriage makes you more attractive. That is true. I have gotten better looking as I go. Um, Although I'm not sure how much this is helpful to you. I've already attracted a woman. (laughs) Getting more appealing as you get married tends to go down the wrong direction. I'm not sure that's helping all that much. Again, five, marriage brings you financial benefits. They got this on the brain. I I don't know where this is happening at. They're either asking the wrong people or I am in the wrong business. Number four, marriage means more sex. Study done by Kinsey Institute says, for example, that 23% of non-married men periodically go a year without sex, while only 1% of married men experience 12-month dry spells. There's a guy going, I thought it was way more than that. Um, Number three, marriage means better sex. Okay, I'll agree with that one. Married people are happier. I don't know any different. I'm a happy guy. I'm going to call that one true. Number one, marriage makes you a better man. That's the reason to get married. Drag someone else into your life to make yourself better. There's your top ten. Your cultural top ten reasons to get married. I don't know. Those don't shine for me. And happiness was not on there. 
Marriage is a covenant. Love was not on there. You notice it's missing love? Top ten, missing love. Marriage is a covenant created by God with a foundation of love. If we get this wrong, we're going to have problems. Some of you know that from personal experience. If we're missing that God foundation and love is the building block, we're going to have problems. Continuing in the same verse, Paul, in the husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. You are participants in a beautiful simile in which God identifies his relationship with his people through the example of marriage. The question for us now is, how did Christ love the church? First of all, in service. Look at Matthew 20, 28. It said, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. Mark 9.35, and he said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. Mark 10.45, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus' actions were focused on giving of himself for our benefit. Christ was a servant to his church, his bride. You must be a servant to yours. This is an area where man in his perversion has generally screwed this up. We'll make an attempt at service. Maybe we go to work, provide for our wife and family. Man, do you ever come home from that job and stuff is like coming at you all at once? I mean, you had issues all day and now you're home. There's like a new set of crap to deal with. And no one at home seems to realize that you've been working hard to provide for your family. Maybe you feel like you're owed some some peace and quiet. Maybe you feel like you're owed a hot dinner. Maybe you feel like you're owed some gratitude. I'm sorry, guys. That's a perversion of servanthood. Look at Luke 17. It says, uh, Jesus is, is, is telling a story about the unworthy servant. And he says, Does he thank the servant because he did what he was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say we are unworthy servants. We've only done what was our duty. Your wife doesn't owe you anything. That service was your responsibility. We have this modern cultural thing where we feel we have to be like validated and affirmed and celebrated for doing the things that we're supposed to do. Now listen, I hope your wife appreciates you. I truly hope that she's thankful that God has provided her somebody who is taking responsibility for his family. Not all women have that. In fact, I would say that many of the social issues that exist today are results in failures of responsibility on husbands and fathers. But let's be clear that you are doing your duty. Culture, we have a very low bar on what that means. Biblically, that responsibility is very, very high. We need to not think of our responsibilities as if we are doing our wives and families a favor by adhering to them. And here's the problem with that. The problem here is that without the proper mindset, we create marriages where we say, I will serve you if you serve me. Or you owe me for things that I have done for you. If that is your view of biblical headship, fellas, you are sadly misguided. Ultimately, we need to recognize that your service to your wife is submission to God and His design for a healthy marriage. How did Christ, how else did Christ show love for the church? Now, we could talk for a very, very long time about the ways in which Christ uh, loved the church, but there's a lot of lovely Mother's Day brunches to get to. And these pants are itchy, so I'm not going to go forever. Okay, but we're going we're to hit a couple other things, all right? 
Oh, I'm going to stick to a couple other things under the agreement, fellas, that you will pursue the rest for the entirety of your life. Can we make that agreement? I'm going to take that as a yes. How else did Christ show love for the church? Christ is the protector. John 10, 11. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Early in this chapter, Jesus uses the phrase, I am the door. In that time at night, uh, a shepherd would bring the sheep into the fold and there would be a little space, a little doorway. And uh, the shepherd would lie himself across the barrier between his sheep and anything that would try to come in and attack it. Fellows, we have the responsibility as protectors. This means that there is a, if there is a fight in the parking lot, if there is an intruder coming into your house or an angry soccer mom hard charging at your wife because she forgot that the treats were supposed to be gluten free, it is your job to step in. It's your responsibility. Practically, fellas, this means take care of yourselves. You need to be in a position to protect your family. I don't know, drink some water, get some exercise. You also need to recognize trouble. You got a creepy guy in your street? You have that? Like a guy driving around, being creepy on your street? You have that, guys? Don't shut the blinds and run away. I don't want that creepy guy coming to my door. I'm going to go talk to him and see what he's doing driving around the street. Okay? You have to see trouble coming. Check him out. Talk to him if you need to. Is your wife going somewhere without you? Make sure her car is in good shape. Give her some gas. Get her some mace. Okay? You're her protector. And it's not just physical protection either. It could be relational or emotional too. Uh, don't push your mother onto your wife, fellas. Sorry, moms. Okay? She's your mom. You need to help with that relationship. Okay? Don't let your kids trample on your wife. Protect her. This is your wife we're talking about. Serve her. Be willing to lay down all aspects of your life for her protection. Christ also shows love for the church as the teacher. Jesus is addressed as teacher 29 times in the New Testament. He preached 46 distinct parables while he was on earth. He taught the church, pointing them to himself and leading them in how they can live in ways that bring people to him, glory to God and joy to others. Guys, you can love your wife by being her teacher. You can be her teacher, her guide, by giving good and wise counsel, which means you actually have to have good and wise counsel, which means read your Bible, study it, discuss it with your wife. Guys, I know this can be awkward, especially if your wife is more intellectually oriented than you. Does that work? Okay. This can be this can be awkward, especially also if you've not done it before. If you've not led in this area, this can be an awkward thing to get into. Okay? But it's one of your responsibilities is to be that beacon. Okay? You can, there's ways to start. Um, one of the things I would recommend is if you're going, if you read, if you have a healthy Bible reading, find something that you like, something that stuck out with you and share it with your wife. If you're not in a small group, get in a small group. That's an excellent time to learn to talk about Scripture with other people, to share things with other people. Okay? I know this is not the first thing that comes to your mind. Sometimes it's not the easiest, guys, but this is, this is part of your responsibility. You can't abdicate on this. You're not Jesus. You're not expected to know every answer to every question. But serve her faithfully in this. Be her guide. Be her teacher. Do not make her go somewhere else. Christ loved the church also as the example. The very nature of this section of Scripture is asking us to see Jesus as the example for men as husbands. As such, men, we need to recognize that we are also examples in our relationships. 
We are examples as followers of Christ. We're examples to our wives of what following Christ looks like. That means to serve her well, you need to be spiritually healthy. If you're not in a strong place in your relationship with Christ, you need to get there. That needs to be your highest priority starting right now. All that service, all that teaching, all that sacrifice from Christ was for the salvation of His people. You cannot expect to have a healthy marriage if you do not have a healthy relationship with Christ. Some of you have somehow separated these as if one is a worldly problem and one is a spiritual problem. I have marriage issues and it's completely separate from my relationship with God. It's not true. They are both spiritual problems. When we have Christ in the right position in your life, you will begin to put yourself in the right position in your marriage. As you lead your wife in a closer walk with Christ, she too will put herself in the right position in your marriage. God is the designer of this thing. Your answers lie with Him. We're also examples as the husband. Many of you are to serve as an example of what your daughters will look for in a husband. Now think about that. If your daughter brought home a dude like you, would he be marriage material? She should be able to use you as a template for what to look for in a husband. She should see how you seek God in all things and how you treat your wife and how you handle conflict in your integrity. You are building a framework as a husband for your daughter. Make it a good one. And for your sons, you are creating somebody's future husband. Guys, tell me this isn't true. How many times have you looked at your lives and you see the remnants of your dad and some of your behavior? Some of that's good. And some of that's not so good. As you look at where your marriage is at, you can recognize that some of your behavior is not God-honoring. It's not serving your wife. And it's behavior that you probably you didn't intentionally choose. It's just what your dad did. It was the example you had. Your dad was the example, and some of you didn't have the greatest example. Some of you did, and that's awesome, and that's a blessing, but some of you didn't. But you have a chance to be a better example than what you had. And you do so by modeling the love of Christ to your wife. Husbands, we are to love our wives as Christ loved the church. And that is a very high bar. In fact, you'll never get there without Christ. Ephesians 3.18 says, uh, Paul is praying for spiritual strength. And he says, may we have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. We're going to need help to hit the high bar. And I'm afraid I don't have ten easy steps to a better marriage. I don't have five ways to be the man you always knew you could be. But I do know what your responsibilities are, men. God created marriage. He entered into a covenant with you. And He gave Himself as part of it. And He's holding you responsible for that marriage and your wife. You need to be an active participant in your marriage. You do not have the choice. Once you said, I do, you became the head. You are still going to need some help. Okay? If you've never done so, pray where you sit. Turn from any sin that is in your life and reach out to God and ask Him to help in being a loving, serving husband. Ask Him for help in you being submissive to Him, which will then in turn cause you to serve your wife appropriately. 
surround yourself by other God-honoring, wife-serving men. We all want to be the king of the guys who don't know because we're going to lead them. We want to help this group of dudes. Okay? If you're not in a position to lead other men, don't. Put yourself in a position where you're surrounded by other men that are God-honoring, wife-serving. Don't try to lead people without that. You get it first, and then you can lead others. Also, get in God's Word. Immerse yourself in examples of Christ's love so that you have something to live up to. All this responsibility talk, I want to make sure we don't miss one thing. Enjoy your wife. Enjoy your marriage. All this hard work is is so that you may have joy in your wife. That you may delight in the wife of your youth. Don't miss God's blessing in this because of irresponsibility. God has made a promise. He's made a covenant. He has made a framework to have joy. But we've got to do the work to get there, guys. Let's pray.